The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. We can get you some information about what God's doing here at Redemption in that, but y'all ready for the Word? All right, turn in your copy of God's Word now to Philippians 1.3. Philippians 1.3 through 11 will be uh, the focus of our attention uh, now in the preaching of God's Word um, as we uh, have the second message in this series. If you're new to redemption, now is a great time for you to get plugged in. Now is a great time that God has brought you to our church as we uh, begin this uh, verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians, that'll take us really up until Easter time as we take it passage by passage. And we look to have a durable faith to grow in these attributes that Paul writes to us in the book of Philippians and joy and peace and contentment and many other things that would be producing in us a durability that is really only through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so in this next passage today, we get into the, uh, the idea of durable relationships. And so uh, likely you spent the last few days maybe with some family and friends. Or maybe you didn't because of COVID restrictions. And so the last few days have actually been filled with some uh, pain and grief as you have uh, not uh, uh, been able to gather with those that you love the most. But let me ask you this as we begin. Who are your closest relationships? Those people whose uh, friendship or camaraderie or partnership mean the most to you. And what is it that makes a, a, a relationship close? What is it that makes them sweet? It's because they've stood the tests of time and distance. Have they been galvanized by shared conflict or shared life together? And as you think of this person or these persons, uh, have you told them how grateful you are for them recently? And when I say to tell them how grateful you are, I mean that you are grateful for uh, just for them and not what they do for you. I think you'll see the significance of this as we get into our verses today for Paul and this church in the city of Philippi had shared much of life together. If you go back and read Acts 16, which I encouraged you to do last week, if you have not, you need to do that because it sets the table, so to speak. It gives us the context for the relationships that Paul would reference here and how deep they were. See, Paul and the believers there had had a deep relationship. They had a deep uh, friendship and connection. Why? Because they shared much in faith and ministry. And so as, as Paul would be remembering them and writing to them, he would be thinking back to the first days, the days in which he uh, arrived in Philippi and went outside the gate looking for the place of prayer. And there he found a, a group of ladies. And as Paul would begin to uh, engage them and share the gospel with them, a woman named Lydia would come to faith. Paul's remembering on that uh, instance together. And then he would maybe think to the time uh, another time when they were at the place of prayer. But this time, day after day, this slave girl who was possessed began to antagonize them, began to uh, follow after Paul and the others who were gathering there for prayer. And she would say these things, these men are slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. No truer words out of, a, uh, out of a young girl who did not know the Lord at this point, but we're told there that Paul would get annoyed 
and cast out the demon, and then she would become a, a believer. Paul remembering those days with great fondness and affection for the people. Or maybe his memories go back to the time where he and Silas are put in, in stocks. They're, they're, they're imprisoned for sharing the gospel and to pass the uh, hours away in the evening. They are praying and singing the songs that they love together when an earthquake comes and they are set free. The jailer who's charged with watching over them knows he's in trouble and he's about to take his own life before Paul and Silas stop him. And God in his great mercy saves this man and then his whole family. See, Paul and the believers here had shared much ministry together. They had many memories. They had formed a durable friendship together. A friendship that has lasted, even though they are now separate over years. And Paul is imprisoned in Rome now for preaching the gospel. And Paul's thoughts turn to them while he is in prison with lots of time and not much else to do on his hands. And so you can hear the affection. You can hear the memories that he has in our verses today. And so why don't I read them for us so you can see and hear Paul's heart for these people and the friendships that he has here. Look at your Bibles now, Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I'll read it for us now. It says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word for God's people. Can you hear the affection in his writing? Is there any doubt in your mind that Paul loves these people when he thinks about them? Absolutely not. He loves them. They had formed a durable relationships, even through the hardest of times. And you know, as we think of our own day, if we, as we think of 2020, it is certainly this year has put a strain on many relationships, haven't they? It, it has caused grief and friction in relationships for there have been no shortage of issues for which to disagree on. From masks to racial issues to presidents, every headline seems to goad us to decide and then divide. To cause us to walk away from relationships maybe that we hold dear. And let me just put this before you, that, that just because somebody disagrees with you on something does not make them your enemy. It does not make them your enemy. It just means we must get to know them uh, better. More opportunities to love other people. But in other ways, well, 2020 has put strain on relationships. 2020 has also strengthened many relationships, haven't they? As we think of what we've been through in this year, we've been through the trenches together and life and on mission, enduring through the difficulty of constantly working to put the gospel before us, constantly putting the, what is the, our priorities before us. 
And just as a church, as I look at the state of our relationships and our small groups even, they are much stronger today than they were even a year ago because of the intentional effort to engage and to prioritize the good news of Jesus Christ and living on mission even when everything has seemed to be changing around us. And so what is it that makes a relationship durable? What is it that makes a a, a friendship go the distance? Well, our text teaches us three things this morning. And at first here is that durable relationships pray for one another. If you're taking notes, you'll want to write this down. Durable relationships pray for one another. What sets Christ-centered relationships apart is Christ-honoring prayer for one another. And so even as I read the, the passage this morning, you maybe noticed how prayer forms bookends around the introduction. At first, he, well, Paul simply says, I pray for y'all all the time. Now, if Paul was Texan, he would, just, uh, he would j- just translate it here as y'all, but he's saying you all, the collective, the church there. But he's saying, I pray for y'all all the time. Now, come on, that was funny. There's a little bit of humor there. You can laugh. He's saying, I pray for you all the time. And then at the end, in 9 through 11, he says, and this is what I pray for you. Rich, robust, weighty, durable uh, prayers for the people that he loves the most. Now, I said just a minute ago that Paul was in prison, in a Roman prison, and so he has time to think on his hands. He doesn't live in the era of cell phones, so he can't scroll through social media. He can't watch YouTube videos. He can't check scores or hunting conditions in order to pass the time away. No, he's, his thoughts go to his companions. His thoughts go back to memories, the memories of joy-filled times that he had had with these people. And so uh, the people of Philippi comes to, come to his mind and it sparks prayers for them grateful, joy-filled prayers, even in the midst of this horrible situation. And I think in one of Paul's methods of not allowing his heart to grow bitter or cold or his mind to go to a dark place and to be depressed about the conditions that he has found himself in, but to get his thoughts off of himself and off of his circumstances, he remembers what God has done for him and it turns him to praying for these people that he loves deeply. You ever have it happen when you have time on your hands or you're driving somewhere in the middle of the night that a person just pops into your mind? That ever happened to you? Happens to me often. I've told other people, like, we need to take advantage of those moments. The time where an old friend, a close friend, your spouse, your kids, somebody that you love comes to mind is to take that as a Holy Spirit notification to pray for that person. And then to let them know that you prayed for them. Hey, you popped on my mind. How are you doing? I prayed this and, uh, and I prayed these words and just quote 9, 10, and 11 for them. But pray and take it as a notification, an alert from the Spirit of God to pray for this person. And to pray these prayers that are marked by gratitude, where you're grateful for them in every memory, every moment that you have with them. A prayer that is marked by joy. Joy that uh, is uh, just uh, filled with joy for the opportunity to pray with, for them. Like, God, thank you for putting this person on my mind. Thank you as I think of this person. You know, we, we oftentimes, uh, when it comes to prayer, we think, well, I, I just, I'm too busy. I don't have time to pray. And so as God would put somebody on your mind, let that be a, 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 a catalyst then for joy-filled, grateful prayers for these people. Now, joy is a theme that runs all throughout Philippians, right? 
you've read through it, you probably pick up on this as uh, 14 times or so. This word joy or rejoicing comes up in the book. It's often called the epistle of joy. And here's a great definition that I heard recently from another pastor friend about uh, joy. He says, he said this, that joy is choosing to be impacted by the character of God instead of my uh, circumstances. Let me say that again. Joy is choosing to be impacted by the character of God instead of my circumstances. See, joy is a choice. Joy is something that we actively engage in. It is, uh, yes, it is a feeling that we feel, but it is also thoughts that we think. Joy is synonymous with satisfaction. And a biblical definition, a biblical concept of joy is being satisfied with Christ. To be satisfied in Christ. That no matter what, no matter where we find ourselves in, no matter what our present circumstances are, we would choose to be full of joy be satisfied with Christ and who God is and not necessarily our surroundings. And so Paul's prayers are flavored here with this gratitude and this joy. But what is it then that he prays for? He says, I'm praying for you. Well, let's look a little bit closer. Jump down to verse 9 and we will see uh, what type of prayers. And it is, his prayers are hopeful. They are grateful, they are joyful, and they are hopeful as well. And hopeful for specifically growth in love and holiness. Notice what he, what he prays for them. that He's praying that they would have a great day. Look at verse 9. That they, would, uh, that they would get a promotion. What does he want them to abound and to grow in? He wants them to grow in a love. An unconditional love, that agape love, the love that, uh, is, uh, uh, that is between two people where they are fully known and fully loved, that is full of all knowledge and discernment. Do you see that? We often, when we think of love, we think of the feelings, the affection that comes, and we definitely read that. That is not lacking in uh, the love between Paul and the Philippians, but it is a love that also involves our mind. Uh, the understanding of knowledge is, or is understanding what is true and right, and discernment is then doing or, un, or applying what we know is true and right. And this factors into how we love the Lord, how we love one another, as we believe what is true, as we believe what is best, as we believe what is, uh, what is excellent about the Lord and about this uh, other person. And so as we would seek to grow, to increase in our love for one another, it is an growing in an understanding of who that person is and how we can best love that person uh, as we seek to love the Lord. This is why we're so committed to small groups in the way that we are, because we want to grow in our understanding of the Lord and one another. We want to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And so Paul prays that they would grow in love. And this is how we should pray for one another as well. That as we share requests, as we go through life together, that we would be full of prayers of God, help our brother grow in his love for his wife. Help our sister grow in her love for her husband, that she would seek to understand him and to know him and be pursuing him. As we would pray for uh, you know, uh, our neighbors, as we have a situation, you know, the, uh, God, help my friend grow in his or her love for that neighbor upstairs who keeps them up at night, right? That they would get, seek to know this person and understand him, to grow and love for them. But it is also a hopeful prayer that would grow in love and also in holiness. 
Look at verse 10. It's a love that produces something, a love that, uh, that results in approving what is excellent, a growth in holiness that, the, that the, these believers in Philippi, Paul is praying that they would begin to live like a saint, an identity that we talked about last week, that they would grow as those who have been set apart by Christ, that they would grow uh, to live counterculturally in a way that is, is, is uh, different than the world around him and really in approving what is excellent or that mirrors the Lord. See, our culture is increasingly approving what God calls wicked or depraved. Things that are socially acceptable, politically correct, are not always what God would define as excellent. And so as we have opportunity to pray for one another, this is how we do it. God, would you help their life to mirror your ways, that they would walk with righteousness, that they would then also act with integrity. See, that's where it goes. And so then, as, they, as we approve what is excellent, then we would be pure and blameless. Not perfect, per se, but full of integrity, filled with the fruit of righteousness, or those uh, similar to the fruits of the Holy Spirit, that our lives would exemplify this and be increasing more and more every day as we walk with Christ, following Him until the day of Jesus Christ, until uh, we uh, grow, until Christ has completed His work in us. See, this is what our prayers for one another amount to. As we, are, uh, as we pray, God, until you take us home, would we grow increasingly more like Christ? And so as we share requests, as we live life, as we understand what one another is going through, we would pray similarly. God, would you help my brother or sister to walk purely here in this situation, in the conflict that is at work, in the deal that is happening, and as they move uh, to a new home or a new neighborhood or a new city, would they be full of integrity in their move? See, redemption, we are doing this all to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, aren't we? That's how he ends this prayer here, that all these things, that our growth in love, our growth in holiness would not be so that we are necessarily known as like holy rollers, that we are known as being more spiritual than other people. But we would, like David prays in Psalm 115, not to us be glory, but to your name be glory, O Lord. And so all that we do, how we pray is that through our lives, Christ would receive the glory and honor that is due to him. Amen? Amen. See, redemption, we are a church. We are committed. One of our pillars is to unceasing prayer, isn't it? And we've, we've talked about this often because it's like in every passage of Scripture that we come to, we, we've seen God answer prayers over and over and over. And why do we pray? We go vertical. We approach the Lord. And when we do this with and for one another, it produces these durable relationships that are held together by the strong bonds of fervent prayer. See, here's the thing, and write this down. There are no enduring relationships in your life without prayer. There are no enduring relationships without prayer. If you, if you uh, uh, take out prayer from your marriage, it will not last. Read 1 Peter 3, 7. And you'll see the, the, the warning there. If you, if you subtract prayer out of your friendships, these rich, robust, durable, uh, faith-producing, strong prayers and the confidence that comes from Christ, if you take this out, they will not stand the test of time or conflict or distance. 
but we must be a people eager, ready, willing to pray for one another, these thankful, joy-filled, and hopeful prayers with and for one another. And church, this will make our relationship so much stronger and so much sweeter. I pray that you know the, 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 the sweetness of these types of relationships. But see, durable relationships, one, is they uh, pray for one another. They have to have that. And second, here, durable relationships partner with one another. They partner with one another. Go back to verse 5 in, in our text here. And why is he praying for them? Why is he so full of thanks? Why is he so full of joy? Well, verse 5 says, because of their partnership in the gospel. Now, this is that uh, uh, Greek word koinonia that we often uh, think of as fellowship, a true fellowship, right? And you remember, may remember several weeks ago from our Unafraid series when we were in Hebrews 13 and we talked about fellowship, right? Some of you here, if you weren't here, then you can go back and listen to that on our website as we uh, were looking at what it means to be unafraid in our witness. And there we saw this word also, the idea of fellowship. And that's probably, if you've been around the church for any uh, length of time, the idea of fellowship uh, is uh, probably something that you've heard. But I'm afraid that uh, over time, this word has kind of been watered down. When we think of fellowship, we, uh, we, we think of, uh, um, of like eating casseroles and drinking tea in a fellowship hall in the basement of a church. Uh, you know, we, we watch football together and we call that fellowship, right? Speaking of which, the Packers play the Bears tonight. So, um, But when it comes to fellowship, it is a sharing what we have with those that we love. And I defined it this way for us. I said that fellowship is sharing what you have for another spiritual good, often by meeting financial needs. And this is the case here when he talks about their partnership in the gospel. This is exactly what the Philippians had done once again. They had sent Epaphroditus with a financial gift to uh, support Paul while he was in prison. He had a need. He, he was, uh, uh, this was the only way that he would really be taken care of. And so they partnered with him this time and had apparently done it multiple times together. And so this is true in our own relationships. Those relationships that go the distance partner with one another in times of need. In times of, of, uh, uh, where we need just help, whether financially with a bill or through meals together or mowing the grass or whatever it may be, but it's a partnering in life through the difficulties for the purposes of the gospel. See, we partner together in ministry or in, in the gospel that he says by sharing our time, talent, and treasure to advance the mission. What God has called us to do to make disciples and to invest in one another and to uh, then work together so that the good news of Jesus Christ would go out. In these durable relationships, this partnering together is marked by their commitment. Do you see that in verse 5 here? He says he's praying for them, he's thankful, he's joyful because of their partnership in the gospel and from the first day until now. These uh, time had passed, the distance had uh, separated them, but they were going the distance together as Paul is remembering their commitment to him from the beginning, from the first time he stepped foot in Philippi till now as they had supported him financially, supported him with prayers, sent Epaphroditus to encourage him in the faith. And so their commitment is yes to one another, but it is primarily to the gospel. The gospel that they share, their, 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 then their commitment is to one another. 
Let's see, this church is why our work for Christ is so important. Why serving together in the trenches on ministry teams is so important as we partner together, as we share life together, as we pool our, our gifts together and, and work together so that the gospel will go forward, so that the world is impacted, so that people are influenced for the glory of God. That's why we are committed. That's why we, uh, that's why we go the distance with a brother or a sister. But they are also marked not only by commitment, but look at verse 6. These durable relationships are partnerships or fellowship that is marked by confidence. Do you hear the assurance in Paul's voice in verse 6? Do you hear it? I mean, we should because he says, I am sure of this. Like he's pretty confident, right? He, he's confident. What is, he, what is he so sure of? Well, there is zero doubt in his mind about the source of our durability. Yes, we pray together. Yes, we partner with one another. Yes, we make progress in holiness. But beneath it all is Christ. That's what sets our relationships apart. That's what makes them last. That's what makes them mean so much is because our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's been faithful to work out our salvation, the one who started a good work and will bring it to completion. See, God began the work in us long before the foundations of the earth, long before we were on this earth. But the work he began then, and, and as he chose his beloved out of their depravity, that continued then as he orchestrated events that uh, our eyes would be open to the gospel, that he would put people that would uh, share the gospel with us and love us, as he would put a church and the body of believers in our life that would lead us then to that moment of our regeneration where we would confess our, our sin to the Lord and believe that Christ is the only way to salvation. That began in, in, in all in Christ. It continues in Christ, and it will be completed in Christ as well in our glorification. And we can be sure, we can be confident of this, and even in our relationships together, this is what makes us, what makes them last, what makes them durable, even through the times where we are hurt or offended, because we believe that God is at work by His Spirit, through His Word, even through us and through these circumstances in one another. They are marked by this commitment and this confidence in what God has done. And there will be progress in that, progress in growing in Christ. And so we can then push ahead in our relationships with confident, expectant progress in this faith that we share. Why? Because Christ is the one holding it together. Like a master builder that designed all the plans beforehand and then employed all the uh, construction and was at work in the midst of it, framing and taking it all the way to finish out and our own move. And Christ is the one building this. Christ is the one who holds our relationships in the same way that he holds our faith together. So our fellowship or our partnership is committed to the gospel to the end and confident in the success of the gospel because of the success of the one who is doing the work. It is Christ who's never failed, who's never lied, who's never come up short in anything. And this is what makes our relationships last. You know, church, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad to be a part of a body of believers who get this who come and gather, as Pastor Cade said, we gather for vertical purposes. We gather uh, to, for the glory of God on Sundays. We scatter for the glory of God. Our, our driving motivation is vertical in nature. And because of that, we gain these durable relationships with people who are like-minded, 
who were willing to lay down their life so that Christ would be glorified and we would be, uh, we would be benefited. And this forms a stronger friendship, stronger relationships, a healthier marriage, unlike any other friendship or partnership that you will find revolving around anything else. And so I, like Paul, I could say the same of you. I've been the recipient of uh, your fellowship. I've been the recipient of your care in times of need. And I've witnessed it over and over and over as God's people have come alongside and partnered in life and in ministry together. I'm sure if you've been around our church for any amount of time, you have experienced this as well. You've seen and you've been the recipient of this. And so it is right of us to feel this way. And our charge this morning then is to excel still more to continue to grow, to continue to uh, strengthen the relationships that we have, and then also to invite more and more people into this, into this uncommon fellowship that we share, into this relationship with the Lord and one another that we have together. If there's ever been a time for greater urgency for these types of relationships, for this type of unity and fellowship, then the time is now. As everything is trying to separate us, everything is trying to divide and destroy uh, just humanity in general. We church, we church have a great opportunity from the Lord to be urgent, to be urgent in our invitation into these gospel partnerships, into this fellowship that we share. See, Jesus designed what we do here as a church, how we care for one another as his plan for the care of his people. And so we have a great opportunity to invite people in, to partner into this, that they would see the the sweetness and the strength that the relationships that God's people have together. So durable relationships, they pray for one another. They partner with one another. And here's the thing, church. There are no enduring relationships without this type of fellowship. We must go the distance, committed and confident in the work of God with one another. But our text also teaches us a third uh, ingredient, a third mark of durable relationships, and it is that we partake in life together. Durable relationships partake in life together. Look at verse 7, and you'll see the word here that we are partakers with uh, Paul, saying he's partakers with me of this grace. And so it's really a similar point as the previous one. Just another aspect of this fellowship, a richness to this fellowship that we share. If the previous point was a fellowship in ministry and gospel ministry that is committed and confident, now this is describing a fellowship with Paul, with one another in grace and in life. See, Paul loves these people, as we've said over and over. You can hear it in his words, the affection that he has. God is his witness. He has an affection from Christ for these people that is uh, shared in the ministry and the memories that they have made for one another. But here's the thing, church. We partake in these durable relationships are those that share a deep affection for one another that longs, that yearns to be with one another, that longs for their company. You feel this way about anybody? Long to be with people, especially people maybe that you haven't seen in a while, people that COVID has kept them from you, whether for uh, reasons of uh, uh, isolating or distance or whatever it may be. Family members, friends in the faith, church friends here. Let me just encourage you this week, tell them, text them, call them, write them a note. Just say, I miss you. I yearn for our our companionship. I yearn to partake in life together once again. I I, I miss you. 
See, these durable relationships, they, they're more than just sports interests. They're more than just work responsibilities. They revolve around more than just kids' activities, but they revolve around the permanent, eternal interests and identities that we share in Christ. That's why he says we're partakers of grace together because our friendships, our relationships are eternal. Might as well get along. We might as well love one another and fellowship with one another here because we've got all of eternity to. Yeah, even that person. You'll be singing with them in the choir. But it shares a affection. They don't revolve around any temporary interests, temporary identities. But we partake in life together. Why? Because we are bound up in Christ. We are partakers of a grace that cannot be taken away from us. So we share a great affection for people, for the brothers or sisters that are sitting next to you. But that is also these durable relationships that partake in life together. It's not only just in the affection that we share, but also in the dark affliction that we oftentimes go through. Durable relationships are those that are with one another in the good and the bad, in the times of rejoicing and the times of weeping. The Philippians partook with Paul while he was in prison, sending them money. He says, you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. As a prisoner there in Rome, he relied upon them for his just mere physical survival. They know that he was wrongly imprisoned for just simply preaching the gospel. And so they bore his burden with him sending him of their resources, sending him uh, this encouragement, being the hands and feet of Christ, effectually and very tangibly saying, hey, I'm in this with you. You don't have to go through this alone, for I am with you through this. And see, when life gets hard, durable relationships press in and don't withdraw. But rather they lean in, they press in with uh, one another for the grace that keeps us tight the grace that holds us together through the most tragic of deaths. It's a durability that takes us through the ongoing seasons of uh, illness and doctor's appointments. It is walking step by step with God's people as we walk together through marital conflict. As a brother or sister is struggling, we say, hey, I'm in this with you. I'm in this, I'm in this with you. You can be fully known and fully loved. It's a willingness to be advocates for one another, to speak the truth in love, to uh, step into even biblical counseling as an advocate. It is these, uh, this is what builds this type of durability and the grace that we share through life's hardest times. Many of you have walked through seasons like this with one another. I, again, like Paul, can uh, say these things to you. I've been both the recipient as you, uh, as God's people, as our small group, as elders and the staff have walked with me and my wife through things. And I've been the witness week after week after week of God's people in this church walking through the darkest of afflictions with one another. And I am so grateful to be a part of a church that gets this. Don't you? Just so grateful that gets this type of fellowship that has a a richness, a strength, a ruggedness, a durability that is bound up in Christ that works hard to build these types of durable relationships. See, all of us want community. All of us want friendships. Unless you're like a hermit or something, they're like, yeah, I'm fine by myself. But I say God has wired us all for a community. And and oftentimes our thinking goes, we're looking for community. We go looking for friendships. We go looking for this. And here's the reality. Community isn't found. It's built. 
is work. And from the very get-go as a church here, from our very core group days, we had that hashtag, build what lasts. Building a church, of building these relationships that go through all seasons of life. It's working hard. It is encouraging one another by communicating this type of love and affection and commitment and confidence and hope with one another. It's a type of encouragement that, uh, that just says it, that when you see things, you say things. When you see growth, you, you encourage one another. When you feel this way, you say it with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, church, if 2020 tells any story, let it tell a different story in our life and in this church than that is the prevailing narrative of our culture. See, we are not defined by what we've lost. We are not defined necessarily by what is changing, but by what God is doing in his consistency in the relationships that we are gaining. See, we, we want to tell a story that a, of a relationships that grow, have grown stronger, more rugged, durable, because our faith has grown stronger, because we've prioritized what is our highest priority. That is Christ. Christ is the only one in these days that we can have any sort of confidence in. As everything that we've held dear, everything that we have, uh, that we have loved, systems and traditions and things that have changed, it is Christ who is unchanging, and it is Christ who is the center of our church and our relationships. And so in these days, our story is wrapped up in the gospel. Our commitment to the gospel, I hope, has become even more precious in these days. As we've seen that it is the only solution for all of life. It is the only solution for the help that we seek and the hope that we have. And so in these days, as things have been stripped away, we've seen what is most precious and most strong, that which can withstand the most uh, violent of storms. And I pray that this is what we remember about these days. As we have time to think and time to reflect on on our relationships and time to uh, reflect on what God is doing, that this is what we would remember about these days, like a band of brothers reminiscing about past conflict. I pray that this is what we would be working towards, even in the days ahead, like a team linking arms to withstand life together, to withstand opponents and their attacks. Why all to the glory and praise of God? Not so we would be known, not so that we would uh, uh, be, be received the praise, but so that, just as verse 11 ends, so that Christ would receive the glory and praise of God. And that's why we live. That's why we seek these types of relationships. That's why we go the distance with one another. And so, church, even as we uh, uh, pray together, even as we seek this out, I want to pray uh, for you now, just in light of these verses together. So would you bow with me, and uh, I'll pray for us.